I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd wherever podcasts are available. I mean, I think when I first started writing, maybe I had some kind of like dreams of being like a Toni Morrison, whatever. And then I think I wrote my first page and I'm like, that is not my voice. Not happening. I mean, I sound like a 16 year old. I, you know, a 16 year old who probably has been drinking and smoking a lot, but whatever. But I mean, like I sound like a 16 year old. That's what I write for. And the reason I write YAs, I mean, like, I think what probably like fueled my life is a sense of discovery. And that's what I love about that time, that YA, because they are discovering everything. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King, and you are listening to the Downtown Riders Jam podcast, which if you listen to the show, you know is part of the Solid Listen podcast network. We are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker on an absolute lovely day. When we are recording this, I hope it's still lovely by the time you are listening to it on the program today. Uh, I rarely meet people who I feel like are more extroverted than me. Uh, This is one of those shows. Minty Das is here talking about her book, Brown Girl Ghosted. And we had a lovely conversation. This was one of those I had to edit down because we talked and talked and talked. And I looked up and was like, holy shit, (laughs) we've been going forever. She's also super fascinating. She's like one of those children of the world. Uh, She was born in India, grew up in Illinois, lives in Finland now. She's spent a lot of her life traveling around. You're going to hear stories about her dad, uh, who he just sounds amazing. Um, And also, like, she's had a really, there are parts of her life that are really hard, but she's just one of those people that's, like, super... I don't want to say happy because that's, you know, everybody has their ups and downs, but she's very positive. 
She worked in global PR for 15 years and then started writing YA stories. Uh, the first series, Storm Sisters, was translated in eight languages. It was in 22 territories and shortlisted at the Berlin Film Festival. And in 2020, Brown Girl Ghosted came out. And she's now working with a Hollywood studio on her next project, Tough Cookie. And we're also going to talk about things like John Hughes and Judy Bloom, uh, and why she likes writing about heroines of color and why that's important to her. It's just such a fun, wide ranging interview. And to be honest, uh, I was kind of just sitting back most of the time. This was one where I would be like, well, you know, where were you born? And like 15 minutes later, like she was telling me stories and I was just enthralled by them. And I think you're going to be too. Uh, just one of my favorite damn interviews. Before we get to that, just a little bit of business. As you know, the jam comes out every Wednesday. We need you to help us out. Leave us a review, either at Apple Podcasts, if you have an iPhone or an iPad. And if not, head on over to Facebook, click on that review button. Also, let your friends know about the show. And there's a reason if this one's not a reason enough. We have two new programs, Jam Sessions, which is our nonfiction short form program. We'll take deep dives into topics that writers write about. Uh, and the After Party, which is like a weird storytelling Q&A that we just launched, which has been fantastic. Way better than I thought it was going to be. And I came up with the concept. You can also head on over to our website, thewritersjam.com. Get book reviews if you're looking for books. You can buy books through the bookshop link we got there. Sign up for the monthly newsletter. We got the Apple Podcast subscription, $4.99. Gets you all the shows commercial-free on the Solid Listen Podcast Network. You can also support the Solid Listen Network by clicking on the Patreon button. And I think it's for like a dollar, $5 a month. Get commercial-free episodes, bonus content, all kind of stuff like that. So, I hope everybody's doing good. Spring has sort of renewed me. I hope it's done the same for you. And I appreciate you guys taking some time to stop by the bunker to listen. And now, I think you're really going to enjoy my conversation with Minty Doss. I, well, I was born in Assam, India. Um, Assam is a, I'm just for anyone who's listening, because there's not a lot of people from Assam. <laughs> I've like never met one outside of Assam, but <laughs> um, it's a small state in the northeast part of India uh, that borders like Nepal and all. Wow. And it's just, it was never officially colonized by the British, but it has all the effects of colonization. <laughs> it's where all the tea comes from. It's the tea capital. And it's like this wildly beautiful beautiful area that is like um rolling blue hills and the brahmaputra river and like poppy fields and jungles it's just it's really amazing and um it was never conquered by the mughals um as well so it is like it's very much a tribal society. I mean, now it's modernized and all, but it sure. has like these tribes that have, and um, two of the big tribes there are matriarchal societies. So oh, it's just, it's a really interesting kind of aspect of India that a lot of people haven't discovered it yet. 
I almost feel bad talking about it because I don't want, well, I want people yeah, to like I get it. see it, but I'm I it. having it as kind of my place. So yeah, I was like, born there. And how and do you then, have brothers um, and sisters? I do. I have an older brother who is six years older than me. Uh-huh. And so I'm from a really, Assam is a really small state. And my mother's family is the, is one of the richest families of that state and had, has been for generations. So that's like super swank. And then on the other side, my dad was just very like um, middle-class and like uh, from a, I think he came from a family of like nine brothers and sisters and things and then rose to like, he went into policing, but he wanted to go to the U.S. to get his PhD. And he actually was planning on going to the U.S. to get his PhD. And the night before there was a going away party. And um, my father was a high ranking member of the police. So he had, uh, you know, police uh, drivers and things like that, but he had dismissed everyone except for his driver. And then my mother and he were coming back from the going away party and they were hit by a truck, by a semi, and oh, she Jesus. was actually killed. And then my father was in a coma for two weeks. Holy crap. And because he had dismissed all of the other police, no, they were on a rural road. So there, no help came to them. So um, yeah, so he was in a coma and then he woke up from that coma and was still determined to follow his dreams to go to the U.S. Originally, he was just going to go by himself for two years because my mother's like, we have this wonderful life. Why would I leave it? You know, and so the kids were supposed to stay, my brother and I. And so like talk about like just that turn. And so my father decided he would bring us. And instead of my mother, my nanny, my Nepalese nanny who had taken care of my mother when my mother was a little girl and then um, left when my mother had gone to boarding school. And a year before my mother got married, she found my Nepalese nanny again and said, I'm going to have children. I want you to come if you would. And so my Nepalese nanny did. And her life changed forever too, because all of a sudden she was coming to America as well. So how old were you? It, it's just, I was three when we came to America. I was two so when you my have mother like, died. You have like the vague memories of I have none. I have really? no memories of India at that time. My wow. first memory starts the moment we are at Detroit airport. And I, you know, I mean, like those little um, details have been filled in, but I remember, I remember my dress. I remember the, I remember the um, non-smell of the air conditioning and just um, these different, you know, cause in, in India, it'll be like fans and now there's like air conditioning, but you know, there's, yeah. I just remember like, so there, my memories start from when I come to America, but it was a really huge yeah. lesson that my father taught us of like, no matter what, you follow your dreams. Like, don't let anything get in the way because he just, he was in a coma and he just delayed everything by six months. I mean, that is incredible to me. That's crazy. And yeah, probably, I mean, our generation and above trauma was just sort of a thing that you, you didn't ever talk about or think about. You're just like, we got to go, got to go. Like you broke an arm, right. like, yeah, yeah, we'll maybe get to the hospital. I mean, maybe. not just like not talk about, not acknowledge. I mean, he was really good about telling me stories about my mother. My nanny was fantastic because my nanny had known my mother yeah. at a different time. So she knew her from like childhood on. So like she told me great stories. So that was really great. But yeah, you don't discuss trauma. And, and like we're thrown into the U.S. U.S. is all I know, you know, yeah. and then all and 
we were again Midwest. So it was like Michigan. And then we finally moved to Illinois. So places where um, it was a white dominant majority. So we were yeah. very much like the only, but there's also a different, it's a different immigrant experience because it was also with a lot of privilege because of my mother's family and my father's sure. ranking and stuff. So these are things that I, I am so grateful for too. And I mean, right. like, especially when I hear other people's immigrant experiences where, you know, I mean, Oh, yeah. And my father was coming for his PhD. So he was educated. And then by the time I was eight, he was a human rights expert. He became a human rights expert for the United Nations. That's the High Commission on Human Rights. Yeah. And the only one on um, criminology. And so his work took us all over the world. So yeah. we started traveling and um, it was my brother and I, and we would go with him. So let's so my talk brother about, is six years old so what were you like as a kid? Um, I was, uh, precocious, uh, I was mischievous, but I always knew again, I was, I presented as a very good girl, but I was mischievous and I was precocious, precocious and extremely curious. And one thing that I like, um, a lot of times with people from my area, there's always this narrative of like the oppressive father, which I understand could have happened and is very real for a lot of people, but that wasn't my experience. My father was, and my nanny, just awesome. So like my dad really like just, he he expected me to behave, but he so um, encouraged me to ask questions and always just, and, and to give my opinion, even from a young age and that my, like my voice was valued and that was huge. So like, yeah. I loved, um, I hated outside. Like I, I still do. Actually, I think that's why I moved to a country that's so cold. I hated having to pretend like I wanted to play outside or like. So you're not hiking outside. and going in the woods and shit. Oh like that. my God. Like, ugh, not and like, I am from the age of four, I was addicted to TV. <laughs> And now I could probably put words to probably American TV gave me the like the social cues and the behavior and the sure. mores of how to behave in like American society. But like my father also raised my brother and I as universal citizens. So I think he came up with this on the plane ride over because I'm like, where did this come from? I think it was a very easy way for him to like allow us to assimilate. Yeah. But we weren't Hindu. He didn't want us to be, and we were really strongly Hindu, but he didn't want us to be either like American or Indian. He wanted us to travel everywhere yeah. and just absorb. Yeah. So when I was like eight, we got to see, you know, Pope John Paul speak in Rome. I mean, he just took us everywhere, but because he was so into his work, we just had to like fend for ourselves a lot. And my brother yeah. was the big brother part, but really shy. And I've always been... Uh, I shouldn't say fearless because I think fear came later, but at least at a young age, I knew between the two of us, I was going to have to do the talking. Well, I think that's so, the like, older, younger thing, right? Like my sister's very reserved and like I walk into a room and I'm like, I'm here. Like, who wants to talk to me? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, like I remember being like, we had to fly back on our own and um, which is crazy. Like when I think of this stuff, like that movie Taken, I was doing that stuff like 20 years before, but I was like, oh my God. If that stuff had existed, I would have been taken. I mean, I was like prime. Yeah, but I would. This is what I. This is what I mean father. about like that Gen X, like our our age group. We're about the same age. Like I try to tell people, like, it, like your parents just sent you away. Like just go do stuff, and like you just did. 
<laughs> well, and I mean, I almost think we are the last of like the baby boomers in that part. Cause like you said, don't, don't think about feelings. I don't care what you're feeling like. Yeah. You better do this. I mean, it was basically like my brother and I didn't want to get shipped back to India. Cause by the time we were what, like by the time I was six or seven, I was American. Yeah. And I sure. also didn't want to like be orphaned. So like we knew to connect with my father, we better be like, as um, like you make his career better you just make everything easy for him so like we would go and have these incredible experiences in these other countries like when i was 11 we had just come to um yugoslavia shortly after the fall of communism and i remember and my dad's thing was like he didn't want us to grow up with like going to like embassy kind of privileges just the major having, capital like, cities and uh yeah he wanted you to go to places no, he, he would take us to small towns but what i mean is he well, didn't want I us mean. to have like that's... drivers and hotels yeah, yeah. and things like that and and like american schools he would put us in local schools yeah and he would put us in like the local apartments where the electricity would go out twice yeah. a day and you know things like that and so we were in the first week when we were in Yugoslavia, all of a sudden it was like a wednesday and we did not see any we were in um, Belgrade. So yeah, I mean, so we were in a city there, but we were in a small town outside of it called Kragwebats. And so we were like looking all, cause we didn't see anyone on the street. We didn't see any cars. And we're like, is there another war coming? What is going on? And like, my dad was doing some research. He was gone. And then we found out the next day it's cause dynasty came on on Wednesday nights in <laughs> all of Yugoslavia would basically watch dynasty because Catherine Oxenberg was like had some connection to the like Yugoslavian king or something like that but, but like the whole country would shut down yeah. so you know it was just but that's what I mean like, like it's it's one thing to travel to major capital cities London Berlin like you can go to those oh, places yeah, but they're all sort of like you know like you can get off the plane and you're like I'm gonna be fine and then, like, when we go to Hungary, you know, like Budapest is major capital city. It's fine. But, the, you know, as soon as you get outside the city, you're in a you're in a different world, that's yes. a different <laughs> place. And that's where the that's the country. Right. Like New York yeah. City is not yeah. America. It's American. But like you go to New York City, you're like, well, there's nothing else here. That's anything like this. Yes. Place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially like I was in. I think I, yeah, I was in college during like when sex in the city was first on. And then when I would travel, it's like, yeah, that's New York. That is not the rest of the year. Yeah. Thing. And like, it's great. It's, I love it. It's amazing, but it's not that different from being in Berlin and London and Budapest and Prague. Like, I feel like when I'm in those places, I know how to navigate it all. <laughs> right. I mean, I love each one of them for their differences, but like you sure. said, you're, you're going to find people who speak English. Yeah. You're going to um, find your stuff. But when you go into these podunk towns, yeah. when you go into the, it's like, uh, yeah, where, and yeah. So when I was 13, my father moved us for a year to Finland and this was before internet. This was 1989 before they had even opened up their borders. So they were, I mean, they had, they opened up to immigration in 1990. So I yeah. always say like, I'm the Rosa Parks of Finland. Cause I kind of, you know, my brother and I, and my father. So we came here and again, my father also, um, likes to save his money so he took he did not let me go to the like american school and health the eye roll that you just gave <laughs> like my cheap ass dad would not is yeah, that what that exactly. was yeah because it, it, it was like he so he yeah took me out of the american school in helsinki <laughs> to give me a quote real experience and put me in this like um suburb school in caravo which was fine but he 
made the mistake of telling me, yeah, well, you're going to get private tutors to teach you. Cause I don't, I don't speak Finnish. I still don't speak Finnish. Sure. And I didn't speak Finnish then, but he's like, don't worry, you're going to pass no matter what. And so I'm like, well, if I'm going to pass, what's, why would I even show up for school? That's a rookie you mistake know, like, he made. Yeah, exactly. That was, and so yeah. instead though, he found us this, he got through his, like through the government, he got this free house that was nice, but it was literally in a small ass town. And like, darkness is real here. Like in yeah. winter, there yeah. is no light. And we were um, about um, half a mile away from the prison. And so I would have, and so my dad would go on research trips and he would literally like put a chunk of money and he'd say like, this is yours for the next two weeks. I will call you on Wednesday at so-and-so's house. Yeah. Be there because he also didn't want to pay for us to have a phone yeah. um, and, put in. And for everybody who's young listening, like there were no cell phones. That was, yeah, you had to exactly. be there when the phone rang. Exactly. <laughs> and so I would come home. <laughs> And I would take the train, I would come home and it would be dark. And then I would see the prison and I would just get scared and I'd run home. Mm -hmm. And then I told my dad this and his like response was, I'm like, I'm scared with the prison. And his response was like, oh, don't worry. Finland mostly only has white collar crimes. So he's like, these are mostly just financial criminals. They're not and I'm like, what? they're still in prison. Like that doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> Well, this this explains the John Hughes stuff, right? Like that sounds yes. like a movie where it's like we're going out of town, kids. Here's a thousand dollars. Like, take care of yourself. <laughs> and also like and again, if you're, I think, under 35, this was this sounds weird. But like that my parents would go out of town like and it's just like, oh, you're 14, 16, 15. Like you got yeah. it for a week. Like, fuck it. Like what could go wrong? Everything. Yeah, everything could go wrong. <laughs> exactly and i mean like i ended up i ended up because my dad's also like nobody cooks so just eat a lot at friends houses and like at school lunch so i'm like okay so I like your dad <laughs> i know i mean but that's what like it's like that baby boomer generation and he's like an indian man from who knows where and his like you know, just knock on the door and have some meatloaf there. It'll be fine. Exactly. And he's like, don't. And his big thing was always like, don't forget, you know, they're they're more afraid of you than you are of them. So yeah, like, yeah. I gotta tell you, okay, I gotta tell you about first day in school in Finland, thirteen. So I'm thirteen years old, and I looked like the missing member of Millie Vanilli. I um, was the only 13-year-old that I know of who wore shoulder pads on a regular basis. Blazer, very Janet Jackson control was my mm -hmm. look. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had, I had had a perm, which had taken especially well to my hair. So I was just like boingy all over. And then I, um, I wore like jean shorts and then a pink guest t-shirt and i had like lip gloss on to match. i mean this is peak like, 80s right here like it does not oh, get oh, any yeah, more exactly. 80s this than like what 90, you're describing yeah, i know exactly is, what you look like uh, yeah it like so i am walking and my brother and my father came to me came with me to school that day i i think because like i i don't even know but like so we're walking and then like all the kids are lined up in the front of the school, like out in the front yard, like they are in American yeah. schools. It's the first day and stuff. And, you know, uh, so we're walking. My brother's like, do you notice something? And by the way, he, by the way, his look is he had 
been living in Chicago and was really being into the underground Chicago house music scene. So he always looked like he was coming back from the club. Yeah. So he had like super gelled hair, hoops, and I'm pretty like an Armani jacket on. And we're like in a small town in Finland walking to my school. Black, right? A and black then, jacket. Yeah, a black yeah. jacket. Always an all black. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so uh, he's like, do you notice something? And I'm like, yeah. Everyone's wearing jeans and I'm wearing shorts. That's not what he like, meant at uh, all, is no. it? He's like, no, it's, um, there's no brown people in this country. He's like, I, we've been here for three days and I haven't seen one brown person. Everyone's white. And so I run up to my father with this and I'm like, dad, everyone's white. We can't, what are you doing? And he's like. I love that you didn't recognize it. And then as soon as yeah, it was poured out, you're like, well, this I is now then, a problem, father. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't even know what I was expecting my father to do, but my father's like, he threw that little don't, you know, don't forget they're more afraid of you than you are yeah. of them. And you're like, it's not about who's afraid of anybody. Damn. And usually when he was saying that, I can still hear like the clinking of the ice and his whiskey. So, you know, it's like, okay. And then, um, and then the headmaster tells us that like, he is putting me in the music class and my brother's like, well, Minty doesn't have rhythm. So and I was, he's like, no, no, I'm putting her in the music class because they're basically they're nerds and they're less likely to beat her up than if she's in the other. class. And I'm like, what? I mean, I yeah, like what the hell's going on in your school that people are just getting their and ass I'm kicked? I'm made of jelly. I, I don't fight. I'm like, what? And yeah. so like, yeah. And then they just kind of pushed me in and um, I walk in there and it's just like, you know, all these foreign faces and stuff. And in that moment, I was just thinking, okay, I'm the only brown person except for my family in this country. And um, my name is Minty. I can't handle all of these things. So at that exact moment, I was, I love LL Cool J's going back to Cali. Oh, yeah. So I changed my name at that moment. And I was like, my name's Minty, but everyone calls me Cali. So yeah, that's what I did. And so that year, Turned out actually to be one of the best years of my life. I um, but anybody trying I to look you up now will be spent. like, we can't find her. It's like she just disappeared. Callie Doss just disappeared. Well, I made I made friends with two girls who are still two of my best friends now. But we used to like because I'm brown and even now to this day they don't have. I mean now immigration's open. Helsinki is a pretty multicultural country or become or city yeah. becoming a little bit more that way, but you still, it's white dominant majority. They don't know how old Brown is in this country. And they didn't know when I was 13. So <laughs> I was getting into bars. I was like, you know, I mean, it was, I mean, I, and that's my thing. I've always kind of, I've, I've always used is. these. Yeah. <laughs> they have no idea. I can say that I'm like, 18 and they'll believe me i can say that i'm 80 and they'll believe me so that's, it doesn't really you know that's funny yeah so so when i was 13 I, I was i was wild i would do that stuff so before we hit the break so you so you basically bounced around from schools like you weren't really in the same place for a lot of your into the high school until like no, you're 18 no i was i um from second grade on i lived in macomb illinois Oh, so you were there. And that is where I was based. And then my father, I mean, sometimes we would go for the year, but most of the time my father would just do it. In, he would go like for six months out of the year, but then, um, and we would be with my nanny, but then like my, um, we would go, we would leave school a month early, come back a month late. So we gotcha, would go gotcha. from like April to September. So you, you know, were just like bouncing in and out of these places. Like 
that was also- I loved it because it was like this dichotomy of like I'm very Midwestern. Like I love the Midwest. I <laughs> I mean, I'm big hair and cornfield yeah, we heard in chili suppers. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I love that stuff. I'm I'm like play me like some journey, <laughs> you know, any day and I'm going to sit there and cry. I mean, I love that. So I had that dichotomy of like the football games yeah. and, you know, student council and homecoming and all that. And then this very like international life of living in other countries and yeah. things like that. So, so and then, when you, when you get to high school, what do you like? Like, what's like, like, who are you at that point? Cause that has to be right. sort of weird that you got these two lives that are happening. Right. And um, especially because I had just spent my eighth grade year in Finland. So I had like the last time everyone saw me, I was like 13. And now we're getting into high school. One thing about this that I have to say that's really important all throughout my life are my friendships. I mean, I have like still I have um, some of my best friends from like second grade, you know, um, fifth grade. So that was really that's always helped me stay and sure. and both of them they don't live in Macomb anymore but they're from Macomb and you know that helped me stay kind of like connected in things so by the time I I don't I mean they helped me see this stuff because especially because I write YA I forget like yeah I was a character because um uh, yeah another thing is... is like my father would give us money to go shopping for our yearly like school stuff and we'd always get in Europe and then I would have my brother's very um well okay, well my brother's very like haute couture kind of like really out there style and he could do it he could pull it off I could not but I would try but you would have and that's why stuff. every time when we would come through customs I would always be checked for drugs yeah. because I just looked so like yeah. far off but yeah um I think who I was, I mean, I want to say like I owned it all, but I didn't. I think by the time I got into high school, this the year in Finland was incredible for my self-esteem because I loved all the attention I got for being brown. I think I could have like it could have really sucked. And I did get there were racist encounters and there were some things. But I loved how like I had never seen myself as pretty because most of well, everything I saw in like around me you know, white skin, blonde hair, blue eyes, or, you know, fair features were uh, considered pretty. And so I had never really owned any of that and kind of really felt, I think, especially in junior high, felt really kind of uh, ashamed of how I looked and my skin color and being Indian and everything that made me different. So by the time I come into high school, I'm just like a whole, I'm just like, a mix of all of that, not quite knowing where I'm going. I mean, I, it's funny, but I didn't talk a lot about my international life once I was in back in America. Then I was just very much my American life. And, and I think a, a part of that came from like me not wanting to feel like I was bragging. I was, you know, and feeling mm-hmm. like whatever, but also a lot of those experiences were so crazy. Yes. That I don't even know. I didn't even know how to introduce. Well, that's them. what I mean. Like you get, you had two lives. You can't come back yeah. to the Midwest and be like, holy shit. I was just in Finland for four months and it was dark and I lived next to a prison and there was no phone. Like that's not a, right. you can't, right. there's not an antecedent in that world where people are going to be like, oh yeah, that's like when I went to my grandma's house. Like that's not. Right. 
Or it's then just, like the fancy stuff, which like because of who my father, like his position and stuff, we were usually guests of government. So he mm-hmm. would get like, he would get police yeah. driving him everywhere. And whenever we would come to the air, you know, when we would yeah. arrive, there'd be police and these kind of things that how am I going to share that with my, my Macomb life? Not that they wouldn't be accepting and understand. Yeah. It's just, you know, but I mean, it's so yeah, different. I think I was very, I, I definitely was very, I was two people. And and I think also being an immigrant, um, yeah. I think you learn how to, it's that borderlands idea, right? You learn how to straddle all those different identities mm-hmm. of yours. And, and I think code switching, there was a yeah. lot of code switching depending on the different groups I was, because yeah. also I have to acknowledge, I came from a very privileged background as well, yeah. which then put me more around white society, which has its prejudices. Sure. It's just more coded. You know, and so um, I knew how to play that because I think there was that feeling of like, you can be different, but you can't be too different. So yeah. for me, it was about being the all American girl. Oh, yeah. I think that's why my accent is so exaggerated because I was so keenly aware from a very young age. I didn't want people to think I couldn't speak English. Yeah. So I made sure to speak out loud and proud and like with this exaggerated accent that it is now. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think and then, a and lot embrace of wholeheartedly the Midwesternness, which is, yes, for, you know, for better or for worse, it is when people talk about like Americana, like that's the, that's the bullshit that they're talking about, right? Like festivals, I mean, corn, that the is fall, like Huckleberry like, Finn. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, it, yeah. that is not what Americana is, but that is sort of the popular representation of it in exactly like white mainstream exactly. society. Like that's, and especially, I'm not even talking like Chicago or Minneapolis. I'm talking like small, you know, I know Illinois. That, I mean, again, so like, I, yeah, like I'm from a yeah. place where when the carnival came through, it's like, I don't know if I want to get on that ride. That ride looks like <laughs> uh, that's going to kill some people. So, no, like, you know, like, but every church had a festival and like you just went and got drunk and played bingo. Like that was what we like. Exactly. That was summer, right? Like, that's what you did. We're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and okay. we're going to pick this up. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, okay, so we're back. And uh, like always, you guys missed the fascinating conversation about film in Hungary, which is uh, man, unrelated, but for us, they were connected together. So what was really fascinating about the first part of this was, and we talked, this is one part that we did talk about in the break, was that it's clear why you write YA, right? Like I kept trying to ask questions about like, what happened later? What happened later? And you'd be like, well, let me tell you this other That's story. That's so funny. About... Yeah, I'm still stuck at 17. Yeah. Yeah, but like it clearly was <laughs> formative to you in terms of like the lens and like what you think you're trying to work out and what you're trying to sort of understand and what you right. what you think is important. Like, have you reflected on that as you've gotten older? Like, why do I say yeah. that? That's massive therapy, <laughs> massive therapy. I mean, that was like 10 years of therapy. That's what Florida was, was therapy. But I mean, like, um, but I, yeah. And I think that is, again, I find, I think it's a privilege to write YA because like the audience, yeah. I love meeting these cats. You know, these guys are like, um, and especially like the teenagers of now, they are already light years ahead of what I was, but I do feel like there's. Why do you say that? What does that mean? Um, I think, well, what we were talking about, because we were kind of the end of that baby boomer thing of like, oh, don't, you know, feelings aren't real, emotional intelligence, gotcha, feelings, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. like kind of bottle it all up. And especially I felt a lot of pressure to just have that, that perfect, perfect embodiment of, yeah. you know, whatever. whatever. Um, so yeah. I find like they're so much more in touch with all those things. Yeah. And in touch with like articulating their feelings, understanding their feelings have a place and identity is so much more on a spectrum like everything else. And that, I mean, identity as far as like um, racial, ethnic, yeah. we're having conversations that we didn't have, but um, racial, ethnic, but also things like, you know, I went back to India and I figured out what being Indian meant to me. But I mean, for most of my life, I've just like, I found that I found that I've had to like make other people feel comfortable with my brownness or my Indianness. And it's only like recently in the last like 10 years that I'm like, no, this is me. But these are conversations that like, you know, 15, 16 year olds, they've already had, they've already yeah. figured that out, you know? Yeah. So the thing that I feel I can write, maybe bring is, yeah, a lot of that is like, I, I understand a lot of that pain and the journey that you go through. And I hope that like, maybe me being like 45 and reflecting on it gives a little bit of like, and, and I honestly think you can talk about things like race. They're serious topics to be discussed with respect, but you can, you can talk about them with humor. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, like a lot of, a lot of like stuff about race, especially in YA tends to take place around um, a very violent event or something serious, which is, has its place. Th these are great. Like, yeah. um, our literature you know, world is big, it, right? It's big. It can be yeah. around lots of things. And I'm kind of like, you know, I'm trying to give a different perspective, which is also a very small town perspective. Yeah. Of like what it feels to be like the only brown girl in the room. And yeah. then also like, hey, let's add some humor to it. Cause that's, I know that's a tool I've used my whole life to get yeah. through it, you know, and stuff. So what well, uh, I think yeah, that definitely. every, 
I think that, you know, I've talked to, you don't know this about me, but like my, my, one of my starts in media was writing for black newspapers. And my mentor oh. is like one of the, he's like, he started morning edition and like, he's just this powerhouse black oh. dude. And like I went to graduate school to learn from him. And, you know, he and I talk, I don't make any decisions without that. We talk like once a month, like, like, and I've been doing that for 20 years. And the thing that I've told white folks is you should always find yourself being the only white person in a room. If you've, if that's never happened to you, you've, you've done, you've, you've crafted a life that's safe for you, but that doesn't represent the world that I, I think that is not a conversation that white America, I don't think I know is not used to. And so they only think that conversation can happen around a police shooting a black kid. Right. Like that's exactly when, that's when they're OK talking about race. And I'm like, there's exactly. actually a billion other reasons. And these conversations have expanded to like microaggressions yeah. and like the toll those taken and things like that. And also being Indian American, I didn't see. I mean, there are some great Indian American writers in my too, but there's not a lot of us. There's still yeah. like we can still all fit in like a minivan. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, because like, in America, we could, I, I'm convinced that America will only allow one minority group at a time to yes, make progress. I know. Right. It's like, oh, I you get know. gay marriage. Well, you're not going to get black voting. Right. You I know what agree. I mean? Like in that also, you know, I mean, you hear that from lit agents who, again, will yeah. tell me the publisher is like, oh, we already have our Indian book for the season. Yeah. So like the hate you like, give oh, came okay. out. So like, we don't need another, you know, like, right. We oh, don't need on. another like. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I remember when my big fat Greek wedding was really big. I remember being like, oh, Indians are thrown back down. (laughs) We got to wait. You know, our delay time is like even longer now because that was like so. I mean, in my sort of like my Venn diagram, which is different, but it's it's a similar. You know, I'm from Appalachia. My family's famous. I was writing a book about I mean, I'm still writing it about being an Appalachian, this family. And, and then Hillbilly Elegy came out. And I literally had agents um, say like, oh, I really like this. But like, people aren't going to buy another Appalachian book. And I'm like, yeah, no, right. I mean, I get it. Like, I don't think that's right. But like in the business of writing, I get it because you can only sell one story at a time. Exactly. Right? And with the Indian American thing, I noticed there's a lot of like, again, my experience and the experiences I'm writing about aren't around arranged marriages or oppressive fathers like that's not and so that's a narrative that's really kind of like that seems to be the more accepted narrative oh i'm sure but i do not and so and again that's like not part of my world (laughs) hey props to you if you can sell that and that's your thing but i'm like we have more than that you know we're not a monolith we have more to tell so i so talking about like these like i like to write about fierce chicks you know i mean like maybe they find their fierceness they're you know a big old mess but maybe they find it but yeah so these different kind of scenarios that again that becomes because it's like oh not only are you you know a minority writer writing about minority characters because as much as like we want to say things have changed i still think with the gatekeepers they haven't yeah you know they've only changed in that there's more there's more little towns and villages now that you can go to if you can't get into that gate, right? Like, but yes, but you know, I, I love the New York times review of books, but I'm like, you know, I'm never going to read anything about Whitney Hill. Who's written, I think six books now. Uh, she writes, it's a, she's got a black, um, girl, woman, like young woman. Uh, okay. it's, it's fantasy, urban fantasy. 
right? With like yeah. werewolves and all this stuff. And she had pitched this book and she was like, this, nah, there's too much and black and she's got big natural hair and like, this isn't going to go. Right. I mean, she's written six books and has a whole bunch of people. And like, I don't know if she'd ever go with a publisher now because she doesn't need to because she's built this thing up. And I think, well, I'm never going to see that story in the New York Times review of books but again, which is fine, but it's also right. literature. And like, that's actually a really impressive story, way more than somebody who was plucked out of an MF, the I writer's workshop and like got an agent and made it. Cause you're like, well, fuck yeah, that's the system. <laughs> right? that's, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I mean, I was right. You know, I finished Brown Girl Ghosted here in Helsinki, Finland. So I was like, well, what do I do now? And like, <laughs> I mean, Kwame Alexander, who he is like, yeah, you know, Laureate and I mean, he's big. Yeah. He found me through his imprint. And so I give a lot of props to no especially shit. like people of color, BIPOC, you know, LGBTQ yeah. plus who are using their platforms and using what they've been able to do to then like help other voices. But also, I think there. it's more so. incumbent upon people that look and sound like me to use our platforms because, again, in a way that pushes off this problem, like problem in quotes, to BIPOC people like, well, you guys have to use yeah. your things to do. It's like, nah, fuck that. Yeah. Like, yes. And let's improv this. Right. Like, and yeah. we should also be reaching. I mean, I use Whitney as an example all the time. I'm like, everybody says they want to expand their their. We want we want to bring in all these people, but they're only looking in six places to get them. I'm like, I could tell you 50 people that came out of fan fiction that now write really good books. The romance world, for Christ's sake, there are women making so much money cranking out a book a month, which is phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I I so agree with you. And up. I think like <laughs> I well, I you know, I um coming from a small town, I didn't even really know that there was a certain track you could take to be a quote, like New York times right. writer, like reviewed writer kind of thing. Right. I didn't know that now looking back at that, I'm really happy. I took so many other roads because that, <laughs> that made me and my life experience. But now when you see that, you see how like, and it's like, Hey, I realized it was hard to get there too. And yeah. those, you know, props. but like, I, I was actually talking to like a 25 year old writer a, a writer, um, BIPOC person who like, she was regretting she hadn't gone to Harvard because she never thought she could then make it. And I was like, oh, you can't spend the rest of your life regretting this. Like, right. you know, things happen and you still have like so many other outlets. And like you said, you have to be willing to maybe like look for them and find them and yeah. stuff. I mean, I have been hustling for 20 some years, you yeah. know, I mean, like, and then when Brown Girl Ghosted finally came out, it was March 2020. <laughs> and I had actually, I had planned a 78 day US tour. Oh I was God. in the first week of it when pandemic hits. Wow. And it like, now I'm actually laughing because it's like, it it's absurd. It's like, a yeah. you know, curb your enthusiasm or something. Because yeah. it's like, what? How did that, you know? I mean, yeah. but everything just completely here that I had published uh, and that's a, again different ways. I was here. I was consulting for a gaming company. Gaming's huge in yeah. the Nordics and in Finland, especially. And I was consulting for Rovia, the people who made Angry Birds. Oh yeah, yeah. And then I found out they had a publishing side, and I actually just said, you know, that's awesome because I'm a motherfucking awesome writer. <laughs> You'll want to publish me. They um, they're like, well, actually, do you want to help co-create our first young adult brand? 
So I actually wrote my first two books with them and because of their name and because like, so they let me go to like Frankfurt and pitch and meet lots of other, you know, publishers and things like that. And then we shortlisted for Berlin Film Festival. They let me go there. And then I met J.K. Rowling's editor. And so like, again, I didn't do the like University of Iowa track, but that was kind of a roundabout way of getting there. And also, I mean, these days, I also think the word writer, I mean, because I I am a storyteller. So it's like, because I work a lot with gaming too and all this. I mean, like I'm a storyteller. And so if I get the chance to tell stories and whatever, you know, I'm, I'm, now working with someone huge on like adapting my next thing yeah. for the screen, you know? And yeah. so, I mean, like, I, so it's just like, it's telling stories. And I think, especially if you're young, I think that there's so much of like, I'm supposed to do it this way. And it's yeah. like, no, first of all, don't worry about sucking. Just suck for a while. Yeah. I you're mean, good just write and suck, yeah. you know, that's fine. Nobody, none of us have read our stuff from high school or after and been like, ah, oh, genius. Yeah. I'm like, my God. <laughs> like, I'm going to just burn that so nobody yeah. ever finds that. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure I've like dumped those off of planes in places. But we anyway, rewrote like- our book. We did a second edition of our book. And when we re- literally rewrote the whole thing, because our first edition, we were like, oh, 10 years later, we were like, this is, this yeah. is not good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually, I mean, I'm glad that we're not talking about process, but my process is I write a first draft with every single thing I want. And I always send it to my agent with this. I always send it with like, I think this is pretty good. (laughs) I don't think we're going to have to revise a lot. I think this is pretty good. And then, and she's so like, then I get back her edits and it's hysterical because it's like, um, then I'm like, oh yeah, no, this sucked. This sucked hard. That's what I tell people. The process is your first draft is always like, I think I nailed it. And then the middle is yeah. like, I fucking am a fraud. And then the, the, you get it and you're like, somebody says it's good. And you're like, you don't even know. You don't even know. It's not good because of me. It's good because everybody else took the bad stuff out. Like exactly. you're done. You don't know anything. Why, that, exactly. And <laughs> but the, the fun of it. And I think that is, that's what the pandemic and all of this when like, when Brown, when I watched, cause it was so hard to like, I mean, with everything that was going on yeah. in the US and in the world, it was so hard to get any noise for like, yeah. this was my US debut and you know, this kind of stuff. Um, and I just realized, wait, what is, I just go back to the fun of writing, you know? So I had just such a ball. Like I, I literally, I created like a murder mystery. I had like the murder board and I had the, um, like uh, who done it kind of like map and all this kind of stuff, you know, and just had fun with it again. Yeah. And I think if you're, if you'll allow yourself to not have definitions of what success means or what this is supposed to look like. I mean, like I said, then one of the biggest movie studios in the world contacted me because they read Brown Girl Ghosted and then they wanted to know what I was, you know, I can't say the name, but it's huge. And they wanted to know what, I was working on and that was during a time where I thought kind of my career was over. I was just having fun with it. And who knows what's going to happen from this? Cause now I know there's ups and downs, but I think it's like just being willing to take that risk and yeah. not defining what it's supposed to look like, what it's supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, it's the, at know? the end of the day, like it's, I don't know if this, I don't know when we talked, may have been off air, but like uh, to be a writer, you have to live and figure out what you want to say and the lens you want to say it through. And once you sort of know that success changes 
because yeah. you know what you want to say. And like there was a comedian, I don't remember who said it. I hope it's not somebody that's been canceled, but I heard him in this interview and he said, I never ask what joke is funny. I always assume that the right people will find the joke funny. And I thought yeah. that's a really I, I mean, obviously we have like couch that within lots of stuff. Right. But like as an artist and a writer, I think, yeah, like when you get to the point where you're like, this is my lens and this is what I want to say, the right people will find that. And, and it may not be a million of them. It may not be 10 million of them. But as a writer, that can't be your goal because you'll be profoundly unhappy forever because it'll never be enough. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And like in my first book, I think like I really I was like I, I was like, I'm I know what I want to say. These are the messages and all this kind of stuff. And then it turned out to be like the worst book I've ever. It was so yeah. bad. So it's like, yeah, just, I, I think so much of it is like trusting yourself. I mean, yeah. I do a lot of research. I like to prepare, but then I just, I let go. Yeah. Cause it's like, I just let go and just write. Cause that's the fun of it, you know? And just not that's to say that every day. Yeah. And I mean, of course there are days where I'm banging myself against the wall and can't wait until like, and I write late. So I write from like 10 PM to five in the morning. Uh, you're a and then, that's, yeah, I'm a, to I mean, yeah. yeah. So that makes me tired and then I just have hearing to wind that. Down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That makes me tired just hearing that. I'm in bed at 10. I'm like, uh, there's well, that's nothing. When you said, like, with this time difference, that's when you're like, oh, is nine to, it's like, no, nine is when I'm just start going. Yeah. You like know? you're warming me up for writing, dude. <laughs> as soon as we're done with this, I'm going to have an old fashioned and then I'm going yeah. to get you know, That's what I mean. I'm the warm up back for writing tonight. Like, yeah. 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 Listen, this has been fantastic. And uh, it's so I always love when interviews go off the rails and I don't get to where where I want them to, because these are the most fascinating ones. And like, here's the thing that I'm going to tell everybody is that the story after high school is as interesting as the one before. Like, and so uh, people can go to your site and find it. But like it, the, when you get the next one done or when the next thing happens, we're coming back and we're going to start there. Awesome. I am definitely, I would love to come back and I want to get you here to Finland because people need your magic. I mean, I don't know. You, like, with that little Santa's cap, you would fit in so well because I think Santa <laughs> is from here. So yeah. Oh yeah, that's probably true. And that's one of the places right. that I've never been. Like every time I travel over there, I'm always like, oh, I need to get up into the Nordic regions. And I'm like, uh, do I? <laughs> it's cold. I love, I love winter in this darkness because yeah. it's like these people are, um, like it's true darkness. It's not like American darkness that we yeah. think. I mean, no, it's like country has. darkness when you're like, there's no lights out here. It, this is <laughs> not. <night. laughs> like, this is yeah. And but I love it because like I think these guys they have a great like um, ironic, sarcastic sense of humor. Very like and like they they know how to make fun of themselves. Yeah. But they also embrace the melancholy so beautifully. So I just love like yeah. Everything here is I don't for lack of a better word, it's so real. Like you don't yeah. have to worry about no one here worries about what anyone's thinking kind of thing. So you, know? So. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I don't know if it's interesting, but like that's my verbal tick. Uh, I always tell folks, I think the state of humanity is melancholy, right? You're born and immediately you begin to die and you know that. And so you are both profoundly sad that this will come to an end. And I think that's what gives everything meaning every moment and not every like nobody is like paying attention every moment, but those moments happen that you do pay attention. 
they take on this gravitas and profoundness because you also know, and this is going to go away too. And there's something mm-hmm. I think deeply beautiful and human about that, that fills me with like hope and joy and happiness, but it's the, it's melancholy that does that. So I think I might yeah. love it there. I think you will. I think you will. They might adopt me. <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> he might you might be there, like Finland's favorite son. I'll that be Finland's true. favorite Appalachian. Like if I can get that title, I'll be good with that. I would love that. I would love to get that for you. I will, I will start working on that. Well, you are. That would be great. And I, I suspect and again, if everybody doesn't know this. I suspect if anybody can make that happen, it's you. So like, I know you say that. And I'm like, if I show up there, there'll be some fucking plaque that I get. I know this already. There'll be, there'll be a sash. There'll be yeah. a sash involved. Which I will wear sure. immediately. Uh, well listen you are just a goddamn delight and you're so charming Uh, i'm super excited to pick up uh your book and read it i hope we can do this again soon and uh, i hope you have a great rest of the holiday season um thank you so much it is just it's been a blast talking to you i appreciate it um brown girl ghosted is the name i've got to plug it and um yeah let's talk again for sure and let's keep in touch yes absolutely There you have it. That was the amazing, entertaining, lovely, fun, all of the things. Minty Das, whose book Brown Girl Ghosted is out now. Before we get out of here, just a couple of reminders. Ask you at the top of the show to leave us those reviews, either at Apple Podcasts or over at the Facebook page under the reviews button. Tell your friends about us. Don't forget to check out all of the other programs on the Solid Listen Podcast Network. Nicole and Malls have 12 of them now, including the flagship Mother Bass Sleep with Podcast with host and our Solid Listen Podcast queen, Molly MacLear. And don't forget all the stuff we do here. The jam comes out on Wednesday. We have the after party and jam sessions, which will now come out on like Mondays and Fridays. You can get all of that stuff on the channel you're listening to now. Just go get subscribed, and you'll never miss anything we do. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Till the next time, I will see you around the internet. one of the hosts of Bitches on Comics, the most welcoming place for LGBTQ plus folks and women to chat comics, fiction, and pop culture. Bitches are both wanted and encouraged on our podcast. We speak with amazing guests about the media they've created, critiqued, and loved. And you don't have to just take our word for the great time we're having over here. We've been named a Best Comic Book Podcast by several publications, including Book Riot, The Mary Sue, and Comic Book Herald. So tune in and listen to us talk with your faves like Carmen Maria Machado, Amy Chu, Mari Naomi, Anthony Oliveira, and many, many others. Our whole goal is to include more folks in the comic book and pop culture world and to help new readers find comics and speculative books they'll love, with no shade for being new. You can find Bitches on Comics wherever you get your podcasts, and you can learn more at bitchesoncomics.com.